Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Okay, so last week, the father's role as the gardener or the vine dresser is where we, we got, and we only got to one point of four. So we're going to review those, that first point, and then we'll, we'll talk about the, the other three. So this is all based upon the passages from, from John 15, 1 and 2. So it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. By this, my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So... One of the things that, that I said is this is an encouraging passage in many ways, but it's also a warning passage for many. So under the light of this, maybe we can all examine ourselves, test ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. And this is one of the places that we can go uh, in order to do that. So there are four things, and here's the four points just to review them again is um, from verses 1 and 2, it says he takes away the unfruitful branches. And we'll revisit what that means to, to a certain degree here. And then the second point is he prunes the faithful branches that they may bear more fruit. Point three, branches that do not abide are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And then the last point is, he does all of this, as he does all things, for his glory. For his glory. So we could say it like this. This is a test to see if we are truly in union with Jesus Christ. All right. So point number one, this is just a, a, a quick review is he takes away the unfruitful branches. This is where we got to last week. So, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, not, or that does bear fruit, sorry, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So what we see here is there are two types of branches. And just a quick review, what... What, uh, what are the distinguishing traits between the two types of branches? Fruit-bearing, right? Fruit-bearing. We can't look upon a man's heart, but we can see fruit. All right, so one of the ways in which the Father takes away unfruitful branches is that he allows them to fall into persecution, temptation, and tribulation. And we named three, three people from the New Testament that fell into this. And this is a way in which God took them away. So who, who is this verse really geared toward specifically? Judas. And, and how was Judas taken away? 
He was, he was tempted through greed. That's the means that God pruned him, or took, not pruned him, took him away, because Judas wasn't pruned. But he was taken away through, hey, how much can I get for him? So 30 pieces of silver, and we learned that Judas was a thief. Who were the other two that we looked at? Ananias and Sapphira, and they were, they were tempted through trial, through their hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy was exposed. Who was the, who was the third one? We don't, Demas. Demas was the third one. We don't know a lot about Demas, but we know he once was a servant working alongside of Luke and others. Uh, and, and we know that he was a, a faithful minister alongside of, of Paul. But then what happened? He was tempted by the world, and he, uh, he fell away. All right, so we, we also see that in people from the Old Testament as well. You know, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we see this uh, from Achan and Uzzah. And we all felt kind of sorry for Uzzah last week, didn't we? Saul? What about Saul? He was a, he was a branch that was removed in a way. All right, the second, the second way we said it, that God, the vine, divine vine dresser, removes branches, was through church discipline. And in God's providence, we, we got to observe that last week in a way that um, kind of gave a little bit of credence to what we had talked about in, in Sunday school. So the Reformer said that there were three marks of a true church. Does anybody remember what they are? First thing, marks of a true church? Preaching of the word. And the second one? Pardon me? I think that would be a fruit, yeah. Sacraments, ordinances, whatever we want to call them. Uh, Right, which are what? What are the two ordinances? Baptism. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Very good. And then the third one is this, church discipline. Church discipline, absolutely. Now, um, I know that some, when we talked about this last week, some questions arose, and I kind of want to circle back and just give some observation, maybe from God's word, of what we had talked about last week, and, and uh, please feel free to answer questions, or answer, ask. I think I asked you guys to answer questions last week, didn't I? All right, Marilyn. Boy, that's a, where do the Jewish people fit on the vine and the branches? That would be like a whole series of classes. I'm looking for help here. There, there are different, there are different strains of thought here. Uh, we, let, let me. Her question was, just a second. Um, her question was, where are the Jewish people? So all believing Jews are in Christ. Is that is that fair? In the Old Testament. Yeah, I don't want to go there right now. Jason. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is a whole different reference, though, because they're, they're talking about basically an olive tree in, in Romans 11. Natural. Yeah, yeah. Very good, Marilyn. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> We're going to have to revisit this next week. We're gonna... No, I'm kidding. All right, so uh, the, the vine dresser takes away some through church discipline is, is basically the point. And, and some of the questions... That we, that we talked about where what, what is our process, what is our role in the process of church discipline, right? That was, that was one of them. Uh, what is our role to, I don't want to say be pruned, but to be maybe sharpened, to use a, a, a word from Proverbs, um, as far as church discipline and help of others. Um, you know, I, I have to be honest, I have not read Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, but I, but I think the, the concept is how we interact with others in a ministerial way, Pastor Ernie. Yeah, I think that, so I think that's what they're talking about over here. We're, we're just talking about it as it fits to the vine and branches, branches Joel. Yeah. And they, some of them are self pruning. They just grow a little bit and then they don't produce it. They, they're just there out of the fly. Otherwise, they maybe get a couple of months cut out of the or whatever. And then there are other branches that grow off that, that the very tip of it will bear fruit, but the pieces that are attached to it don't necessarily bear fruit. I think the Lord prunes off those things that, or prunes those things. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. For right now, what we want to talk about are branches that are not bearing fruit, but that—that's definitely part of point two. Yes, Joe. Yeah, that is possible. Yeah, that is possible. Mary Beth.
Right. No, that's... That's right. And that's a that's a perfect segue to what I'm what I wanted to, to share with you. And so no more questions for three to five minutes, okay? All right. So no, that, all kidding aside, that's exactly where I wanted to go, is that there is there are responsibilities that we as members have to one another before we ever get to excommunication or whatever one wants to call it. I mean, there's a lot that goes on. Uh, Again, I believe that's the purpose of Caleb's class right now, and the purpose of writing that book is that we have a responsibility. So these are my observations uh, with that. So um, I wrote some things down, and I can't read my writing. Oh, yeah, I see it now. The first, the first point that I want to make in our responsibility, so our responsibility toward our brothers and sisters and God is that we need to be oozing with humility. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. We, none of us needs to be or ought to be self-righteous and judgmental. Now, raise your hand if you're not that way. I'm kidding. Don't do that. But I am. I am self-righteous and judgmental. And I need to repent of that each and every time that I find myself being that way. None of us is truly, truly as humble as we ought to be. None of us is as humble as Jesus Christ. But we all need to be striving to be humble each and every day. Each and every day, walking humbly. Jesus gives us a great, a great passage here from John 15. He says, without me... You can do nothing. I mean, what more do we need to be humble? We can do nothing apart from Christ. So I, I got a little quote here, uh, a very, very helpful book. It's, it's a little heavy, but um, Jonathan Edwards wrote a book called Charity and Its Fruits. And if you know the old King James version of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it did not use the word love, it used the word charity. So, um, so he's saying love from 1 Corinthians 13 and its fruits. So I got a little, a little quote that I wanted to share with you on that. So this is, this is Edwards. He says, um, oh, by the way, and, and this, is, this is him quoting, uh, or, or at least expositing on verse 5, which in the ESV translates, love is not irritable or resentful. Okay? In the King James, it says, love thinketh no evil. Love thinketh no evil. Okay? So, so what should our first response be when we see others maybe acting in a way that may not be our preference? We need to think well of them. We need to think the best of them. But here's what, here's what Edward says. The doctrine set forth in these words is clearly this, that the spirit of charity or Christian love is the opposite of a censorious spirit. Or in other words, it is contrary to a disposition to think or judge uncharitably of others. So that's, that's why I asked the question is, do you find yourself critical of others? And like I said, I know I have. Here's, here's what I would say about that. If you have a spirit of, of a, a judgmental spirit, my opinion here, 
you're not the person that probably should confront other people. You're probably not the person to confront other people because if I sense a judgmental spirit in you and you come to me and start barking at me for, for all I'm not, that isn't biblical. That's not the biblical process. So the first thing is humility. Galatians 6.1 tells us that. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And what is required for gentleness? We must be meek and humble in order to do that. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then I think um, maybe the, the best passage on, on this whole process is Matthew 7, 3 through 5. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So, brothers and sisters, why is that? Answer. What's the answer to that first question? Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but not see the log in your own eye? No self-examination. Pride. Absolutely. Pride. I'm walking around with, you know, this big thing. But I'm seeing all these little things about you. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? See, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. This is a process of humbling ourselves. Take the log out of your own eye. Examine yourself in light of God's word. And then, isn't this interesting? And then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's the heart work, the preparation for us to talk to one another. Okay? So it's not a self-righteousness thing. Self-pruning. A self-pruning vine. Well, we're, we're instruments in his hands, right? Pretty painful. It is. Darren says it's pretty painful to pull a log out of your eye. It is. It's a, it's a hard process. I think, of the, I think of the word mortification of sin. You know, doesn't, that's a bloody process, isn't it? All right. So the second thing is for the sake of other people... For the sake of other people, we ought not let fear keep us from confronting others. So the first thing is we need to have a humble, meek, and gentle spirit and attitude. But the second thing is don't let fear stop you. Proverbs 29, 25. For the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You know, we should know that others also are used by the divine vine dresser to help us. That is one of the ways in which we are used within the body. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Pruning, wounds, see how it all goes together? Pruning, wounds, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I know um, know we had a sermon on Proverbs 9 not too terribly long ago, but I, I remember this. This, this is the attitude of the receiver of, of the, of, I guess we would say, the words that, that might wound. But do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. So how many in here really, honestly, I don't care if you show hands or not, I'm just trying to say this 
But how many of you in here, and I, I know I can say this, if I'm, if I'm walking perpetually with attitudes that are not becoming of my Savior, I want to know about it. I do. I want to know about it. I want you to tell me. And my, my children, my wife, I want you to talk to all of us about that. So I don't, you know, if somebody pulls me aside after church, I'm okay with that. But you don't have to. But you don't have to. But I'm saying this is a part of being in the body of Christ, isn't it? That we need to submit ourselves to one another for this pruning, for this pruning that's, that's taken place. And so then we get to the process of Matthew 18. So the first thing is, if your brother sins, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone in confidence. You're not airing dirty laundry about other people or or frustrations you have with other people. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Or in other words, if he repents. Or she. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. So then you see the next part of the process is we need to establish charges to this person. Okay? Because they're not listening. We're not, we're not counting them as an unbeliever yet. But we're taking that next step in the process. And then if he, ref- if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Let him be as an unbeliever. Okay? So how do we treat unbelievers? We talked about this last week. Brothers and sisters, how do we treat unbelievers? Love them. We love them. We love them. Absolutely. So we see a purpose for this type of removing Although the results aren't always favorable, aren't always favorable. Church discipline is a gracious act, meant for the purpose of restoration. So, if any of us ever falls into sin to a point where we've been disciplined by the church, know that the church loves you and wants you to come back. That's that's the whole point. Like Mary Beth was saying, it's all for restorative, restorative purposes. So, anyway. So church discipline is one of the ways that the Father takes away unfruitful branches. Okay? So now, breathe this out. Okay, maybe not yet. Mr. Melvin. Thank you for pointing that out. I, I 100% agree with you that first and foremost, that's the purpose. First and foremost. What I, maybe a better way of saying it would say for the, the, the purpose for that person being disciplined is for the restoration of their soul. So forgive me for not making that clear. But yeah, 100% in agreement. 100%. All right. 
Anyone else? Anyone else waited three to five minutes? Rick. That's a, that's a difficult verse for me personally, to be honest. There may be a really easy answer. So, yeah. Yeah, since I'm such a great theologian, Rick, I, you know. All right, so point number two. He prunes fruitful branches that they may bear more fruit. So pruning has the idea of What? Cutting, right? Purging things that hinder growth. Why? And I think Joel's already... Is Joel still here? No, he offended I'm sorry, Joel, wherever you are. He's been, he's been pruned this morning, evidently. I don't know if I'm going to get that steak now. Um... Why do you purge a, a, a grape vine? Why would you purge a grape vine? To make it better. Jack. It will bear more fruit. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, that was a good one. I didn't even think of that. All the nutrients will not, they're not being sucked out by this dead stuff. Very good. What else? I'm thinking of one more thing. You got a, you got a grape, a branch here from the vine that has about 12 grapes on it. Or you got one here with 50. Which is prettier? You know, you look at it. There's this fruit that's going on. Don't we want our church to be fruitful? Don't we? Don't we want it to be beautiful, not for our sake, but for the sake of Christ? So for the, for the sake of, of beautification and growth, that's why we're pruned. Now, now I'm not going to tell this story. Okay. How does our Father prune us? Does anybody have a guess? How, how are we pruned? Sometimes it hurts, yes. Joe? Failure? Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Say it again. Fellow believers can prune. Yeah, we already talked about that, right? Absolutely. You were saying? God's very great at pruning. It's like he puts a stop sign up. Yeah. And we're done. Right. The word. The word prunes us. That's right. Has the double-edged sword. Manny. Pruned all day, every day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so both believers and unbelievers can be a part of the process of pruning us, right? I came up with three. Testing, affliction, and discipline. Testing, affliction, and discipline. So what do I mean by testing? All right, so I'm going to James 1.12 for this. James 1.12 tells us, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay, example. Has anybody here ever put together a gas grill? Raise your hand. A few of you. Is that a sanctifying process, I ask? Okay, so I remember putting a gas grill together about 10... Christy's shaking her head like, oh, don't bring this up, Will. So about 10 years ago, I put together a gas grill in our living room, and I'm going to say 72 hours later, it was finally together. And the whole time, I think what I'm really known for in my house when I'm putting things together is my pruning of the people who made the instructions. Who in the world put these things together that doesn't make any sense? Okay, so then I, and and I'm notorious too for putting stuff on backwards. And then you go, why isn't this going together? And then I'm yelling at the people who, well, anyway. But in the end, in the end, what do we really want to know about that gas grill? In the end, does it work? When I push that igniter, do I get flame so that I can grill my ribeye steaks? Absolutely, that's what we want. And that's, that's what the purpose of testing for us is, is does our faith through this trial work? Does it work? And that's a whole, that's a whole concept of, of James's writings, I think. Although James can be a little bit disconnected in, in his epistle, this is one of the great things. So in the end, if we've survived, lasted, persevered through the trial, what do we get? What does it say we get? For when he stood the test, he will receive a crown of life. This is the crown that he's referencing. This is a laurel wreath. Who gets a laurel wreath? Winners. Winners, yeah. Winners of an athletic event get this. They've endured. They've persevered to the end. So this is God's reward to us for finishing the race, for persevering all the way to the end, abiding in Christ and not falling away. So we, we've talked a little bit. I've had a couple of, of, of answers about what kind of tests Manny brought up work. Yeah, people at work can test us. How about our own families? Bad relationships, difficult marriages, wayward children, financial difficulties. Are these tests that we have? What else? Rick, traffic, I feel you there. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) What about slander? What about if you are slandered? Is that a test? Is that something that will test your faith? How about physical ailments? What about loneliness? Is that a test? What else? 
What else tests our faith? Anything? That was my list. Blessings test our faith. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Ease and comfort kind of test our faith too, don't they? All right, good. So the testing um, that we receive is from God. So, yeah. What's that? He needs to know our choice. All right, so a dead faith, a failing of the test, does not mean that we are not Christians. I don't want to stand up here and say that. You've failed the test. Ever heard of Peter? You ever heard of Peter? Yeah. He failed. Testing through trials and afflictions that receive is not about punishment, is it? Our God is a good and gracious God, and this is how this is how He teaches us to endure all the way to the end. And we see that places like Second Corinthians four seventeen. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we may not feel like it's light, but in reality, in the big picture it is. It's light and it's momentary. It will not last. This is the only hell that we will ever, as believers, receive. It's the only hell that we will receive. But it's preparing us for the eternal weight of, of God's glory. Romans 3, or 5, 3 through 5. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Do we need endurance to run the race? Yes. And our endurance produces character. Do we need character to run the race? And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 2 Peter 4.19 Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will, like that, according to God's will, Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So when these things come upon you, what should our attitude be? Joy. We count it as joy. Thank you for the pruning. Yes, it hurts. Is that hurt real? Sometimes it's very real. Sometimes it's, it's very, very real. And there can be some... Sorrow and weeping, disappointment, sure, all of these things. So we can entrust the divine vine dresser to prune us and to purge us from the things that might cause our growth to be stifled, to make us produce ugly fruit or even choke the life out of us. It is for our good, for our good that he is pruning us. All right, so... So we're not only tested by trial, but we're also uh, pruned through discipline. Through discipline. So sometimes it's something that we've done. Doesn't discipline kind of imply that we've done something? So that, you know, I mean, done something against God? I mean, do we just discipline our children for their good, you know? Sometimes. We always do. Let me, let me rephrase that question. 
We always discipline them for good. What I'm saying is, do we just discipline them if they've done nothing? You know, hey, at uh, 8 o'clock every night this week, we're, we're going to have discipline. It's for your good. No, no. We discipline when we've done something. And this, I think, is a great passage of how God prunes us through discipline. So Hebrews, Hebrews um, chapter 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So if you're not disciplined by God, be afraid. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So this is, this is a way that God, and remember, all pruning has the idea of that it hurts. You know, it hurts. And that's what he says there. It always seems painful at first, but it's working for a reason. All right, so God disciplines sin, and it's never punitive, but restorative. It's always restorative. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the, the Ted Tripp thing, the circle of obedience, that we stay inside of that, and we want to teach our children to stay inside of that because that's where God's blessing is. It's the same for us. We want to stay inside of that. We get outside of that, we're disciplined. All right, so if you are in union with Christ, you will be pruned. If a person is not pruned, he's not a son. That's what it's saying. He's not a son. All right, so how many of you are glad that we have a divine vine dresser who prunes us? Not everybody, but that's okay. I'm kidding. I'm putting you on the spot here. I'm just Possibly. You can make a comment, yes. Marilyn said that she's older than a whole lot of us. Does anybody agree? No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Count it all as joy. Yeah, absolutely. Looking back and seeing God's work in our own hearts is what, what Marilyn is, is saying. Yeah. And that it, that it works too, doesn't it? Darren. Yeah. Painful at first, later it yields fruit. All right. Make it fast. Which, as far as 
humanly speaking, that is the least painful. The sharpest, cleanest. It's almost merciful, but it has to be done. At the time, it can be very devastating. The healing, sure. It, the healing but is I don't, I don't picture God as wrapping the vine around his wrist no, no, no. and then yanking it out. It's, that's not pruning. He is no longer angry with us. God is no longer angry with us. It is always a loving act. So whatever in his mercy he chooses, whatever means, it could be extremely painful because that may be what we need. You know, I think of, um, I really like John Owen as a theologian. And John Owen, I believe it was 10 of his 11 children died in infancy. Now that's, that's suffering. And I think the, the other one died when she was around 20. So he lost all of his children. You know, Spurgeon took care of Susanna for many, many years. She was basically an invalid. So these are painful, painful things. Uh, Horatio Spafford, Stafford wrote a song called, what? It is well with my soul. He lost four daughters in a shipwreck, and he writes this song. So, yeah, it's always painful. All right. Moving on, branches that do not abide are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Okay, so this, I think, gives us the imagery from Ezekiel 15, where unfruitful branches are good for nothing except to be burned. This is what Jesus is, is recalling here as he's talking to the disciples. 15.6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Okay correlating passage I want to jump to real quickly here is Matthew 13 and then I'll give some some comments here so Matthew 13 40 through 43 says just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire so it will be at the end of the age the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out uh, of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the righteous will shine like the sun isn't that great the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So one thing I want to say is that not every branch that is not bearing fruit is taken away. Not every single one. I don't think Jesus ever, ever said every branch that is not bearing fruit is taken away. It, he just simply says there are some, and he's referring to Judas. So this from Matthew 13 is in his, um, the aftermath Joel, I'm glad you're back, by the way. Lisa said that I had offended you. but um, This is in response to the parable of the wheat, and the, and the King James calls it the tares, that are all planted together, the wheat and the weeds. The, the, the true believers and the false believers all among. So there are false believers at Faith Bible Church, more than likely. I can't say that definitively, but more than likely, there are weeds planted among us. Does that mean that the divine vine dresser is always going to take them away? Nope. Nope. Because there are some on that day, Matthew 7, on that day, they will say, didn't we do great and mighty things for you, Lord, Lord? And I'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So this is what, what I'm saying is that at the end of the age, there are some that have been taken away through persecution, like Judas and 
Demas and others. People who have been disciplined, who are taken away from the body. And then there are some who are planted right among the body. But at the end of the age, what's going to happen? They're all going to be gathered together. And they're going to be burned in the fire. They're going to be burned in the fire. So some do remain. Some do remain in here. So the means that they will be judged is that they will be condemned to hell. Where? What does it say? In a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unbearable misery. Unbearable misery. So now let's take it all the way back to the beginning and say, what responsibility do we have to other people if they are living in sin? Do you see? This is a great responsibility that we have. We might be the means to help to prune them, to help to prune them. We very well might be, and we need to take that responsibility seriously. Last point. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So all things, we said this in an earlier uh, lesson, that God does everything to demonstrate his glory. Why is he pruning us? That he may be glorified. And if we have a problem with that, we're probably not one of his. If we have a problem living for his glory, and I, I came up with three people uh, that, that actually found kind of quotes for um, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey grew up in an Orthodox Christian home. When she was about 27, she said this. She said, I have a problem with God being jealous that he demands that he and nobody else gets our highest allegiance and affection. Where's Oprah now? Is she walking with Christ? She thinks she is. Well, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt was raised in a fundamental Baptist church, and he turned away from his faith as a teenager because of this. He he said, God says this, you have to say that I'm the best. It seems like God is just a big egomaniac. A young C.S. Lewis had issues with God's desire to always be praised, to praise the Lord. He said he sounded like a vain old woman. Thanks be to God, the Lord saved C.S. Lewis. So there have been many, many, many others, many others who have done that. And I'm going to just skip for the sake of time. So as I said, this is a bit of a warning passage where we can't examine ourselves. And so we've got the broad way that's easy. We've got the narrow way that's hard. What is so great about the narrow way? It is hard, but what's so great about it? It leads to life. But what else? We get God. Are we doing it alone? We can do nothing without him. So this brings great glory to Christ. This brings great glory to God. And it brings much help to us. All right. I think that's... We'll, we'll end there. Quick question, comment? Thank you for listening, and thank you for all your comments today. Let's pray. Father, you are great and glorious. You are mighty, and you are wise. And even some of the things this morning, we will spend a lifetime trying to figure out, and we never will. Your wisdom is is greater than ours. Your foolishness is greater than our wisdom. 
So, Father, having thoughts like that this morning, let this turn into great worship and praise as we gather corporately as a body here to sing songs that glorify you, stir up our heart with great affections and love and desire and happiness, God, that you will prune us. And yes, it will hurt. But God, help us to keep our eyes upon the prize. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ to be able to spend eternity and to one day shine like the sun. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.